listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. Are you a Pull Across related business? Chugga Talk has a truly global audience. To learn more about advertising here, email me at ryan at polacrossmadesimple.com. Space is limited. On this episode of Chugga Talk, I'm so excited to welcome back our resident horse welfare experts, Beth Shaw and Beth McClarty. We discuss common horse performance issues, prepping and managing horses for World Cup, how to manage horses on the road, how the Sumchi tool and techniques can help your horse. Stay tuned for the end of the episode where I'll share a special Chucka Talk only promotional code for 20% off if you decide to get involved with Sumchi. Here on Chucka Talk, the goal is to shrink the pole across the world by connecting people together and most importantly to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world. So listen closely and enjoy. Well, this is great. Welcome back to the podcast, ladies. Uh, we have Beth and Beth on again. I always enjoy these conversations because these ladies just have such a great feel for horses. They can read horses. They spend a lot of time making horses feel better. We spend a lot of time in polo cross injuring horses and making them uncomfortable. And so it's great to be able to uh, have a have an alternative to that. The American Polo Cross Association, we have an initiative this year with horse welfare. We're calling it the Year of the Horse and trying to do all these things that we can for our, our horses. And so this goes right in line with that. Today we're going to learn about performance issues that horses have that are common and how we can help them. In addition to some schooling, other techniques that we can use with some chi to help them out. But first I'd just like to get an update on how everyone's doing. So Beth McClarty, what have you been up to? Very busy with Polar Cross Camps. We've had about the three or four. We are getting horses ready now for because our season starts. So the first tournament on our calendar is the ladies tournament in Bishopstow, which is the beginning of March. We will be going middle of March more. That will be our first tournament, yeah. Okay. And I, I just get fear of missing out, jealousy. Once you've been with the McClarty crew and you play Polar Cross, there's really nothing like it. And I, I keep thinking to myself, man, I'd be so good if I could just live there. But yeah, that's awesome. And I, I think the world wants an update on the cow. How's the cow doing? <laughs> Mint. She's doing very well. She actually has uh, three mates at the moment. So, um, But Ooh. yeah, she's very domesticated and very happy. Um, and it'll want her own, really. So yeah, yeah, all good. All good with Mint. Any other mischief that she's gotten into? <laughs> no, um, no, other than she knows how to get out of her paddock and find us when she needs to. But um, no, she's been pretty good. What's the weather like there right now, Beth? Is it super hot? It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> oh. It has been hot at times, but it is really, really beautiful at the moment. Um, lovely mornings and the days are great, so it's been good. You've gotten a lot of moisture, it seems. Yeah, we've had the right amount of rain. Everything looks beautiful, and the dams are full, and the rivers are full, so it's a good season so far. Beth Shaw, you've been really busy lately. Uh, you're in Hong Kong, but you've been traveling the world, so just give us an update on what you've been up to. Well, I might be home soon and seeing you in New Hampshire. Yeah, so I can't remember quite when the last time we spoke, but he, I've been back in Hong Kong 
full on in the racing season, but we're hitting some hiccups at the moment. So I might be on a plane on the 27th. Um, massive restrictions have come in here. So yeah, not, not, not the best of news, but it is world news. And obviously um, I just need to make the right decisions as far as work and my family, etc. But it has allowed me getting back to writing the book, the Samshi Technique book, which has been good. Spending quite a bit of time organizing videos, podcasts, sitting at the desk for the last three weeks, to be honest. That's my news at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> we do have several things to cover today. And the first thing I did want to cover has to do with prepping horses. Beth McClary's had a lot of experience prepping for World Cup with horses. Also, it has inherited horses and uh, sort of seen some of the issues that come about there, but how to manage a horse over a weekend, how to, how to have them ready for that Sunday game. So either of you, if you could just talk about prepping horses and the things to really focus on and the common issues that you see. I think the big thing with horses are they're all pretty unique. The prepping, if you know your horses really well, the prepping is quite um, individual and um, some horses get fit really quickly. Others take a longer time to get fit. We start them off quite slowly, just trotting uh, for a couple of weeks and then we build them into uh, tournaments. And then obviously internationals and World Cups are much, much trickier and much harder because the horses really have to be at next level of fitness. It's much like um, an athlete going to Olympic Games. It just requires the next step up. So there's a lot of work that, that goes into that. And then also, you know, your horses that get fit quickly, there's no point making them do the same amount of work as your horse that takes a little longer because then you're basically overworking that one. Yeah. Understanding of each horse is very important. And when you're getting a whole lot ready and with horses, you know, there's always injuries or something that comes up, um, kind of an unforeseen injury. It's that daily monitoring, morning and evening, what they eat, um, their exercise. With a World Cup, the difference is that not everybody that puts their horses in the pool have played at that level. Only when you've played your A grade and then there's another step up into a World Cup, do you realize how fit those horses actually have to be? And it's in each rider's interest to make sure, um, or owner, that their horse is as fit as possible because your good horses in your pools they always play a little bit more than your other horses you know so it's probably quite a science behind it and there's no given like lots of people have prepared horses for world cups but my criticism generally is that they're probably not all fit enough especially the guys that are kind enough to loan their horses in the BC grades, their horses are of A grade standard. They've just never had the opportunity to play there, but they also don't understand the fitness levels they have to be, you know, they have to attain to play and play well there. And then the fitter, the less chance you have of an injury. Uh, we have our own system. I'm sure the girls have their own system. Jason, we probably has his own system. I don't think there's a right and a wrong. I just think you have to um, make sure they're as fit as possible and do. I don't think people do enough counter work and enough what in human physiology, the fart leg training, you know, the fast, slow, fast, slow, the changing of pace. Because even if you're just running, 
and you're doing that continual change of pace it's exhausting and for horses it's the same thing you know there's that stop and turn element more in polo cross than in any other discipline and it's quite taxing that it does make you tired so we have a system in our lunging ring it's bigger than normal and we do building up into our tournaments we do that stop and turning that going faster and slower without riders actually just with somebody on the ground um to to get them up to speed with that that kind of that kind of fitness in the human world we call those hit workouts when you're doing high intensive interval training where your heart rate's coming up and down and up and down so that sounds similar to that um, on a on a daily basis and beth you uh, beth shaw you can chime in here uh, when you said that you're looking at horses and you're just trying to monitor them what do you see in a horse when you think it's been overworked or when you know that it's it needs to have a step back or, or you know, so what are some of the, the signs that you're looking for in a horse? Um, how, how they're standing in the stables when, I'm not sure if Beth keeps the horses in the stables or if they're out. Their mannerism in the stable is, is your first indication of if the horse is tired from yesterday's work. If he's eating up, if he's drinking well, those things will show you if he's stressed or not stressed. I mean, what's the difference between just tired and stressed, let's say? I mean, is there a difference where they're just... Well, you can have one where they might be slightly dehydrated. You can have one where their their body has been pushed to their max. and then that. But that's also when you're building muscle fibers and taking them to the next level. So you do always want to, you know, obviously check their legs and all their vitals, etc. The main thing is if a horse has taken his work well, he'll eat up. If he's starting to feel stressed, whether from ulcers or limb limb issues, you'll find that he's not interested in his food. Yeah, that observation, Ryan, is like Beth saying is key. You know, you, you have to be watching them. You have to be there at feed time. I know in South Africa, we have grooms and everything, but if you are invested in your horses, then you are still there at feed time and you can pick a lot. You can pick up a lot with your horse's general demeanor and how they feeling and how, you know, when they finished exercising, if you're there, you can pick it up very quickly as to whether they're doing too much or whether they're doing too little or you know, and you've got to really monitor each one individually. You know, there's broad where everybody can do the same and they can all go trotting and they can all do that. But your fine tuning is very much more a specific and it comes down then to the way you feed them, how quickly after you've exercised them, you feed them for, in order for them to recover in the optimum time. So that we've worked out in our own family with our own horses and when I go to World Cups I sit in the stable and observe the horses a lot that we get and try and try in that short space of time work out you know an extra meal or so it is really lots of observation. What you'll find with the Samshi technique um, what I would mention here is when a player is getting his horse fit is when you'd want to start in with um, your level two Samshi stroke routine and get to know the horse and balancing the horse and then after they've this is where it's very beneficial is after they've had a hard workout you go in give them a massage and you've flushed out the byproducts that are getting stuck in between the layers you're increasing the blood supply you're balancing the aches and pains and you'll find that they eat up a lot better after a hard workout and that's when you can start bringing the horses up the levels in their conditioning.
Tell me what traveling for horses, the impact that it has on their bodies. There's obviously the big international trips for racehorses. I'm talking about the maybe the eight-hour trip and you know what sort of things happen to horses and how, how does it affect them and how should we help manage that experience? Is it super stressful or is it not? With the polar cross horses, I would assume they're going in at least there'd be two traveling, so they're in a pair. They also have a strong connection with the rider. So they do have that comfort. Yes, it's, you know, you want to travel where you're not going to hit traffic um, when they're not in the heat of the day. Obviously, make sure that you're going to either leave after feed time and arrive before feed time to keep the routine very similar. Electrolytes are probably good before a good travel. When I used to travel from Vermont to Kentucky, we definitely did a drench. You know, anything is... As long as everything is planned, organized, and as least stressful for the horse as possible, obviously you can't take everything into account. But the main thing is routine and traveling when the weather's the best, you know, not too hot, not too cold, not snowstorms, all that kind of stuff. The hydration is the and obviously stopping to have let the horses drink, making sure they have a hay net just so they have something to nibble on and keeping their guts going. We were talking about prepping horses for World Cup and then, you know, some of the issues that horses have and sort of how to look at when they're stressed. Beth McClarty, at World Cups, what sort of things are you doing to the horses? I mean, you may not want to give up your secrets, but, you know, what sort of things are you doing to manage horses, especially ones that you don't know? Let's say you're abroad in, in Australia. Or something. So the best is really you know they're supposed to give us as much information as possible I know it doesn't always happen but anyway to get to go through that and go through each horse um, individually um, and go through their food sometimes you're lucky and the owners do chat to you so you have a little bit more of an idea some horses travel to tournaments and they don't eat well doesn't matter in which country or where, you know, some are just notoriously bad at eating or drinking. And then that big observation thing, see if they do eat their food uh, when they've been out. It's so um, stressful for horses, a World Cup environment, because generally they are far from home. They're not anywhere near a stable mate. So they have that adjustment period, trying to work out who their new who their new stable mates are and their routine changes. So I try and go through the horses as thoroughly as I can, you know, just have a look at for little things, swelling in legs and some horses you go there in the morning and their legs have swollen because they're not actually used to being in a stable all day. We are very big on um, the icing. So we ice our horses' legs twice a day at every World Cup. We do it for every tournament here at home. So we do that. And um, then we've always been allowed to use the beamers and that generally do help a lot. But now with the Samshi, it is going to be that much easier, provided they allow us to use them. I'm sure they will. I'm not really involved in the next World Cup, so I might just be an observer from the sidelines. <laughs> but I'm hoping that they will they will implement the Samshi a lot because you can pick up early on. You can pick up something. So a horse may come back, and you might Samshi it, and maybe ever so slightly saw in the neck or over the hind quarter and you can work that and that will that will help a lot from that aspect i'm hoping that so really run it's really watching when they when they walk out we watch them when they 
playing them, practicing them at the World Cup and watch them all the time. You know, to, We've been successful, South Africa, in our horse care in that we've had very few injuries at an international. Um, we've managed to keep our pool of horses at least 90%. We, we've not, we don't really go below that. Um, and we put a lot of care and a lot of work into them and try and give them back better if it's not the same as when we got them. So just really right. being on top of that and, and yeah, yeah. As careful as we possibly can. You know, the bottom line is that internationals, uh, World Cups in particular, it's horses that win the game. So for me, being always being the horse care thing, the better I can look after the horses, the better my team's chances are. Because at the end of the day, right. it is the horses that are, are going to win the games. You know, the players are all of a standard. Yes, they're one or two exceptional. But I mean, generally, everybody is of a standard. So it is those horses, those horses that can pull it through, make it to that fourth chakra and that third chakra and still be able to dig deep and, and get it. And the happier you can make them in that new environment, the better your chances. Pascal, you're taking note. Do you have anything uh, to add? Electrolytes are important, if, and if you don't know the horses, it's just whether to put them in the feed or in the water. I often find that you might not want to put them in the water, then the horse doesn't drink. So that is, okay. that it is and then obviously if the horse is not drinking well, it's, it's to drench them. Talking about prepping horses, let's get into common horse performance issues. Things that, that you notice with horses and how schooling and the some cheese six can help with that. But for the first thing I wanted to ask, though, when you're assessing a horse and you're running the some cheese six over it, and uh, like Beth said, Beth McClarty, that you're you're able to catch something early. What reactions do the horses give you when either it's painful or it feels good? What sort of things are horses telling you? <laughs> uh-huh. So yeah, so you're always you're always paying attention to how the horses receiving your interaction so what are his eyes look like how are his ears is he moving away from you is he moving towards you does he pick a leg up so you're always watching those sorts of movements you know the fascia the fascia the skin it's it's the largest organ in the in the body the more we can keep it balanced and fluid the more receptive it's going to be so these strokes are designed to interact with the muscle, the fascia, the nerves, the meridians, and really improve the function of the whole system. Because the body moves as a whole system. And the body is moving and is constantly adapting. And when when there is a restriction, say like, say the horse gets worked a lot to the left, 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 left. So then he's going to build up stiffness in the muscle tissue more so in one place versus the other place versus then. Um, so say, say for instance, um, Beth is working her horses with the free lunging and they're turning and this and that. And so, but whoever's doing that is a schooled person. And he knows that that horse might overturn to the right. So he's going to ask it to turn more to the left. And then they're going to take the horse out and they're going to see has the horse taken its turning and stopping equally as he's how is he sweating um is the skin dry somewhere and over sweating somewhere is he's does he have white sweat coming off of him it that would indicate if it's coming out of one leg more than the other leg that that 
system is unbalanced. So if they're trying to bite you, then yeah, then you're going too much pressure and they're uncomfortable. So then I ask people to slow down their strokes or um, use less pressure in the stroke. So you're always going to communicate with, you know, if the horse is not comfortable, he's going to move into you or he's going to bite you or he's going to swish his tail in your face or he's going to pick up a leg. So basically, with the Thumshi stroke routines, you're working to just get the skin as mobile as possible. And in doing that, you're going to have better blood flow and then more fluidity through the muscle fibers and through the tissues. Then you're going to have better oxygen and then you're going to have better elasticity. And when you have all that, you're going to have a better moving stride. Yeah, you're constantly like, so when I give lessons and stuff, it's fantastic. I mean, Ryan, I can see through through the camera, through the computer, how the horse is reacting, which legs is moving, and I can explain it to the student, and I'll say, hey, did you see him move his leg this way, or swish his tail, or, oh, he's about to give us a release, let's just go a little bit more here, so, yeah, just through the online coaching, I've been communicating with people about how I perceive the horse to be taking the stroke also that sometimes it's not a pressure thing sometimes it's just a little bit sore um, and they're very quick to to tell you like the ears might go back or i've never had a horse actually try and bite me but they they will they'll put the ears back and they'll like but they, you know, they'll look like they're going to bite or they're going to kick. And then as Beth says, it's obviously sore there and you just take off the pressure a bit or hold it on there. And then generally you go back and then the reaction is different. You you can notice the eye softens, um, they sometimes mouth or yawn, they lick their lips, they sigh. You know, those are all the, the really, really good signs and the very rewarding signs. Or they even bring their head all the way around and they'll grab your shirt or something and just hold it um, and not actually try and bite you. So they're very gentle signs. And then if it is very sore, if they have a bad you, they will tell you how much pressure they actually want. So if you listen to that, it works quite well. I, I had a mare that, that fell and hurt her shoulder and she didn't like the pressure on the shoulder at all but and in the beginning tried to really you know ears back badly and like snapping at her teeth but then got better and better as I put Helda Samshi on and actually used to look for me when I came into the stable so that's the rewarding thing once they've had it they almost if you walk into a paddock with it it's bizarre and people think you're mad but until you've got a Samshi there you understand they will come and find you their signs are there, they communic they're great communicators, so there's lots of communication that goes on, provided you're not distracted. Like, people can be very distracted and they're talking to their mates and everything, then you then you actually miss out on that, those little final, fine details, you know, the little uh, signs and things, yeah. That's my experience, personally. If you're holding the Samshi 6 here, like this ride, there's already a magnetic current happening, okay? There's a, a field there. There's already the magnetic interaction happening from the Samshi 6 to my skin. So what's happening there is it's possibly improving the activity of the cell. So when Beth says she's just going to put the Samshi 6 and hold it, already then you're, you're putting the cells. The cells are wanting to get back into a happy place. And then the body is constantly adapting. So 
as that energy is applied without any movement, there's already healing going on or energy being applied to the system. When I think about getting a massage, and this this might be totally different, but in that example of the fell on, fell on the shoulder and had an injury, you knew that was going on, Beth, so uh, you knew that was an injury. But what's the difference between just having, I hate to say the word, I mean, like knots in the muscle compared to an injury and when you know it's an injury and when you know you just need to keep working that part. If you've witnessed the injury, that's easy because then you know they've fallen and that's really where and they probably will be sore on the opposite side of the fall as well. But if you've been playing them, it was an interesting thing. I had those experiences, Graham at Natal Champs, one of his young horses and a really good mare. When he came off, he said, oh, she doesn't feel 100%, but she'll sound like you could trot her out and everything. And then I actually ran the sumptuary over her and her in her stifle. So I had to go through everywhere, start with all the strokes and go. And then when I got into the stifle area, she was actually, I didn't even touch her with the sumptuary. As when I brought it towards her, lifted up her leg and, and she wasn't a hundred percent there now. I know that he would easily have been able to play her on the Sunday because she she didn't um, she wasn't visibly uh, unsound, but she would have done a major injury had he played her because obviously she was feeling that. So the difference really is that with knots and that you can you can really feel them even if your pressure is light. You can you can feel the change like basically in the tension of the muscle and the, and the tissue you can feel you can feel bumps in the neck and and then like I say with most injuries you're there to witness them unless they've been playing in the paddock and come back and done something that's how really I work with my with the sumptuary with us I will do it before obviously not the morning of a tournament but the day before and then afterwards in a cool down later once they've cooled down i'll go over and then i will be able to pick up something new because i've done them the day before so um i know exactly how they're feeling and then quick to pick up something new the slightest thing you'll pick up the slightest um injury you also have that big electromagnetic field anyway so the minute you move into this space they they understand that and with assumptions so quick they're quick to show you where there actually is a problem a good way to explain what you're thinking about with the knots is did you see you know have you seen in the olympics the the cupping and the new yes. cupping that's going on now so in the old days we we just had the cupping and then now we've got cupping and movement it's kind of where now that the, the sumshi falls in is the cupping is it's separating the tissues so if you have like a knot or a trigger point like you're going to separate that tissue and then a, a break down the adhesions that have have gone in there and then you've lost your elasticity and then you've got a knot right so very similar to the cupping you're going to separate the tissues so even though we're not doing a big suction cup and movement we're separating the tissues as we walk, go through the stroke and then obviously the more pressure you use you're going to do more but and then that allows those adhesions to come apart and that not to dissipate. It's, uh, and again, once the, the body is amazing. Once you put the body on a healing path, it wants to be there and it's going to work to be there. And then what's going back a little bit to what we we're just saying about knowing your horses is the horses like, and also going back to 
the, the horses win the game, whether it's polo or polo cross. You know, your best horses, and when that and that game's coming down to be won, those best horses come out. So, and the more they can be balanced and aligned or online, the more fluidity there is in their body, the less they're going to hit it because there is, it, by nature, the body's meant to go out and come back. It's meant to be elastic. It's meant to be ever-changing. So the horse's body's fascia reacts to to any like movement because that's in its nature how it's built. So the more you can keep the fascia system online in the nerves underneath it and the energy channels underneath it, the quicker it's going to react. And, and the more fluid it's going to be able to put the leg out and the more it's going to have more you know engagement so able to engage its hindquarter like if a horse does um if a horse does its uh, front tendon that isn't where its original injury is that's where the system is breaking so the more balanced you can in a line you keep the system throughout its training and as beth says as soon as you can work on a horse post-race or, or post-chucker, then it's going to build muscle fibers correctly and have less lesions to create a major injury. Well, that's, that's in my perfect world. <laughs> yeah. It's run and when Beth comes to the balance, we um, concentrate heavily on balancing our horses um, because like, then there are less injuries. So we do a lot of that until they can canter at the end of the buckle with just and keep a rhythm and you can move them on and off faster and slower just on the end of the buckle and they don't lose balance then only do we go to them there's next schooling steps that you probably want to speak about but the balance the more balanced they are the less injury and the easier they are and the better they make it through a tournament there are lots of horses out there that are not balanced at all, you know, and when you go to a World Cup and you inherit horses, then some are extremely balanced and, and others aren't, and you have to really make the most of it and, and work out what you can do. But your own horses, so for instance, at a World Cup here, I would be encouraging our players that are putting their horses into a pool to have horses as balanced as possible and in alignment, and then you come through with horses that go through a big tournament like that well and easily and it's easy for everybody international players horse lenders everybody if you've just got your horse balanced fit and aligned it's the way to go yeah and the samshi like i know we talk about it a lot but i really do think it's going to make a massive massive difference especially if they can get everybody on board here for the next world cup um then I think it'll make a huge difference. And the bonuses, you can use it on the players as well. So it's um, it's it's worth it. Yeah. yeah. No, so one interesting, um, I sent you the video before our call is the butterfly stroke because I still haven't gotten you out into the stable for a lesson because you keep saying it's too cold. So I thought <laughs> I'd make an animation for you so you can see the butterfly stroke. And the butterfly stroke is also really an important stroke, although it's on the trunk of the body and, and not necessarily about moving it's about activating all those muscles that help the horse breathe it's helping the horse inhale and exhale so as you work the butterfly stroke so you're also improving the communication with the rider's aids but you're also improving the horse how he breathes so when he is in that last chucker 
and he is tired. He has the the capacity to in you know inhale and exhale, and his muscles are conditioned for it because horses, especially in polar cross, get hit in the in the barrel region, hit in the trunk region, and there's bruising in that region that accumulates over time, and it will affect how to breathe. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's such a interesting stroke you you come across a lot of different meridian powerful points on the meridian but it also is and it is the intercostal nerves and it can involve the vagus nerve which also helps has a lot to do with balancing the lung and the heart but it's a very simple way to improve your horse's respiratory that's great i wanted to ask something and this is gonna upset a lot of people probably when I start talking about polo, oh, yeah, I usually get yeah. hammered by people. Beth McClary was talking about end of the buckle, just being able to go around and being balanced. Talking about performance issues and people getting in the way of horses, let's say. Beth Shaw, have you worked on polo horses a lot with the draw reins? In an educated hand, they're great, but 90% of polo players are not the top. And so do you see a lot of things going on with polo ponies because of the draw reins, because they have a mechanism that's getting in the horse that's impeding the horse's natural head carriage. They end up pushing up into the pole because of it. I'm just curious about your experience with polo horses. I'm learning a lot. I mean, even as we speak today, you know, what I'm learning about and what's coming out in in the equestrian world about the fascia lines and the connection with the tongue and the atlas with the psoas group and that feeding down to the hind fetlock, etc. It's... the less, you know, brute strength you can have on the horse's atlas, the better it's going to be in the long run. But, you know, I play polo and I love my running reins. Yeah, it's just, it's like any tool in anyone's hands. There's a, a, a good place for it and a bad place for it. And it's like with any tool in the equine industry, you know, whether it's a drop noseband or a bit or a standing martingale, it's all how it's adjusted and used. And it's really interesting as of today, the more and more we're learning about the threats of certain gadgets that we use on the horses to make them perform better. But it also goes back to if the eye always a running rein, but also it depends on the horse and it depends on, you know, how well schooled they are and where if they do we need the running reins so that they stop a little better? Do we need the running reins so we have a little bit more control? Um, maybe. You know, it is part of that sport. Like, so to say, because of the length of the gallop and because of the length of the field, it is a different tack requirement. Mm-hmm. Depends on the horse, the breeding, the confirmation, the training. Yeah, I want Beth McClarty's take on this. Could the whole sport of polo go without the draw reins? Because we see polo cross horses that can stop on a dime at a full gallop. Is it really the length of the field? I, I want your, I want your to come down hard on your opinion here. Okay, hundred um, <laughs> percent. Well, <laughs> like, um, well, I'm fortunate in that Graham played quite a, a lot of polo, and they, I think it is uh, a bit to do with the with the length of the field. I mean, he had a horse play double rein snuffle on the polo field, um, and they are those. He's not the only. There's lots of people that have that. I agree with yeah. Beth. I think it's um, there is quite a lot to do with the with the schooling, and it's a uh, sometimes not always because I mean there's some exceptional horsemen in that in that field. Sometimes it's a quick fix for 
for some people. Then they just use that running rain, draw rain as a breaking mechanism and um, it's a shortcut to putting in the hours of for the schooling. And look, I'm, I know not everybody's fortunate to live on a farm and be able to ride their horses and, and a lot of those polo guys, it's a, it's a weekend hobby, but like going mountain biking, you know, they get their horses, their grooms do everything and they get their horses and they ride them on the weekend. So they sometimes need that, that running rain. For me, it can be a very severe piece of equipment in the wrong hands. Um, I have I have seen it, and when you change the, when you get a horse that's hollowing and lifting its head up in the with a running rein, it's it's only bad news. It's it's not good news. There are definitely times when it when it is needed because it just gives, at the very fast, at just a little bit more fine motor control. But generally, with those guys, it's in the top and they are very in tune or they've come through other disciplines and they understand it better um, and every piece of equipment used for horse people there's always that element of abuse because some are just not educated in the way they should be when using certain pieces of equipment on horses you know you see it in in all the sports and mountain games and whatever it's um it's just, um, it's education and knowledge as opposed to every horse that goes on the polo field must have a running rein. That's generally the consensus here. I don't know if it's everywhere in the world, but generally. And there are people that don't know how to use them properly. But yeah, there's, there's a place for it. What I really want to say, there definitely is a place for it with a top. And the top horsemen, they use it beautifully and there's no issue or not, no drama with it. I did a lot of eventing and show jumping before and it was such a technical piece of equipment always in that you had to make sure the hindquarter was engaged all the time or else you'd lose that in a running rain. And then to see it just out there in a flat out gallop. I think it's a highly debatable piece of uh, equipment. It has its merits and when I watch the RG open I'm like wow I'm blown away by how they use it and, and, and how it works. But like I said, there's always that little bit of abuse in every equipment, yeah. What what other gadgets make you cringe when you see them on four horses? On uneducated, you know, maybe not necessarily uneducated riders, but what are other gadgets and things that you that upset you? Sometimes it's more a lack of knowledge, a martingale that isn't used correctly or a very severe bit. Because generally what I found, even with people that come on camps, their go-to is to just keep bitting up as opposed to actually making it seem not a schooling problem, you know. Maybe they don't like that head check and they go better without it as opposed to bitting them up or maybe it's a, they're really stiff and um, that's why they're not stopping. So it's more, um, it's more that sort of, I'll just slap in a pelham or a or a short martingale and it'll go better. I think that's what it, I probably get a little bit irritated. Is it your horse strip? Is it maybe lame? Feeling something got sore muscles, as opposed to just bitting up. And then probably most allergic to the incorrect use of spurs. I feel like sometimes it's it's unnecessary unnecessary damage that's done. Um, but there's like, as with the running reins, as with the martingales, there is definitely a place, a place for it. It's generally uh, just that abuse. Abuse in any form really gets to me. It can be whip spurs, 
generally I think that the bits get stronger or or the other thing that irritates me is when a horse has to go in a snaffle but is not a snaffle horse um they they're not all snaffle horses they they just they really aren't so yeah I think those are the kind of things that irritate me. Yeah. All right, Beth Shaw, what do you see in the world that irritates you? Yeah, I think uh, another thing to look at would be also just you know, a good fitting tack. Uh, you know, obviously the polo cross saddles are, are a bit bigger and probably better fitting than the polo saddles. But it is important to take that into consideration because it is something we put on back that has a lot to do with um, their movement if it's too tight or ill-fitting. You know, it's something that's really come about more in the last 10 years, I think, than maybe I'm dating myself. Maybe it's longer than that. But <laughs> it is something, especially, you know, if you're putting your horse up for big tournaments and whatnot, it's just to make sure that you have a good fitting saddle. It's it's a fair thing to, to ask. And then the other thing that's come up recently with working with a few polar cross horses is the, the breast collar, good fitting breast collar because it's something that's a, always a part of the tack in both disciplines actually mm-hmm. and again they you're coming across the major nerves in in the shoulder that the, those breast collar might be interacting with which then can have an effect on the neurological comfort of the horse just an ill-fitting breast collar can cause pain i think it's it's also just important to often check your saddles even though you had it saddled or fitted in may it's you never know if it got dropped and something happened with a tree or something's going on, the panel shifts. or So it's also important to check your saddles. So when a, when a horse becomes hard mouth, what sort of, where do they tend to show it? Other than the obvious sores in their mouths, what, where else are they, do they end up showing a hard mouth horse? Where, where are you going to see? Your hard mouth horse is, you know, why is he a hard mouth horse? probably because he can't stop. So why is that, you know, I think Beth can support me on this, that we can get a horse off the track that is got no mouth, and then by corrective schooling and balancing of the hindquarter that all of a sudden they become snaffle or small ring gag horse or whatever. So I I do think a lot of the hard mouth does come from um, hindquarter issues. But again, as I said earlier in this talk, is that it's also worth considering is he losing his breath? Can he breathe? Is he possibly bleeding? I don't know if we have much bleeding in the polar cross, but um, it is something that could be happening that that's why they, you know, run out of stop is that they're panicking. Just recently, I'm dealing with a horse here that, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, it's been scoped, it's been this and that, but all of a sudden now, yeah, the scope's not looking so good. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you know, you're not always around when those horses are actually backed or unless you're doing your own horses. So the mouth can have probably been injured in that time. But you you see it in tension in the jaw and in the neck and in the pole. You'll find that because they will use that to compensate for their mouth. Because obviously they don't want you hanging on their mouths because it gets sore. And then you'll see the tension in the in the neck muscles and in the pole area. And then, as Beth says, the hindquarter plays a very big part in that because if they have an injury in that hindquarter, they're not going to want to put their hindquarter underneath them when you are asking them to stop. They not they, And then they're going to be compensating into the front area and that's going to be the mouth and the neck and the shoulders. That's where we normally see, often when we see a, 
a horse with a mouth issue the first thing we do are check the teeth and and everything like that and a proper fitting bit but then we go through it and 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 yeah and have a look and you definitely do i think Bess will agree with me you'll find the tension in the pole the neck and then the hind quarter is quite common for that shortening the head check and overbidding is what a lot of people yeah. end up doing and just making it worse yeah i saw that it's yeah. not even funny it is actually i think it's actually quite painful for them to to, to have that yeah and and we have so many specialists now i mean you have bomber who's designing bits for every type of mouth and horse you have people that can come in and adjust the teeth and mold you know do a mold for the horse so he has a proper bit and and especially in your polar cross where you know, you have the one horse, one or two horses, and you can look after them with getting the proper fitting bit. In my experience, you must have a, a, a dentist in, make sure the teeth are, are even and the jaw is correct and the TMJ is correct. The bit is fitting comfortably and then the hind quarter must flex on the spine because if it doesn't, you yeah. can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> and then a chiropractor, uh, we use them a lot, actually and uh and the physio if and then now obviously i have the samshi so the physio not that i can take the place of the physio not at all physios are fantastic and i have a lot of respect for them but where we live it's far to get somebody to come and do your horse's mm. physio every day or whatever so generally um saved in that but i do like the chiropractor in that if they can put the spine in alignment and everything then you can work from there the minute you're just doing one, um, then, you know, the comp the physio, if you have a horse that say its neck is sore and they help a lot and they and they do all their treatment, but it goes back to that sore part, if the actual alignment, if it isn't an alignment, I think there's a big place for them, for all those modalities. They all work together. The Cairo and the physio and the Samshi, they could all actually work together and make an incredible team. I think Beth will say some of the South African Paras and physios have actually ordered them now, which is it, which is a big step for us. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, well, they're going back to the Sempshi. Then you know, it's been designed. The stroke routines have been created, so that person who can't get the physio out every time and can't get the chiropractor and the person who's got the one horse and who wants to look after it, that we can best in between the veterinary treatments and in between the routine care, they can still look after their horse as best as possible and that's it is really why i created it so it is part of someone's grooming kit and you know i had a great lesson i haven't told you in, in zimbabwe the other day and you know this little horse he's got a few issues and just to be able to explain to her how she could give back to her horse and have this bonding experience and have him enjoy it and so yeah it's a it's, it is fascinating it really is about anything in life, about balance. And tissue is amazing. And a horse's body is, and our bodies are always reacting to situations and wanting to be as balanced as possible. So let's go to the hind end of the horse and the, the stifles. And what are some common injuries or ailments of horses? And then what are the strokes that you, you offer doing for those horses? Because we talk a lot about the mouth and the front end, but... Looking at the hind end, uh, what are what are those strokes just, doing? And... Perfect, yeah. So just quickly, there's there's the froggy stroke and the zebra stroke, the DB stroke, and those are fantastic strokes to help balance 
the hip stifle and hawk action. For your polo cross horse who's pushing off the ground a lot, you know, that's engaging your bicep femoris, that's engaging your hamstring, your semi-mammy, semi-pen. And just to be able to, one, keep them balanced through the different strokes, but also to be able to refresh them. So if those muscles are used a lot in a game and then the horse is finished and before you go and have a beer, you go and do 15 minutes of some she work, that's going to revitalize hind quarter. And so you have power and stop the next day. Yeah, the, the, the strokes were literally designed because we, like I think we said in the last podcast, because we don't inject the stifles here. And I, the more I learn, again, just about if we do the birdie stroke, which is down the middle of the stomach, then now you're like lifting the stomach, which is going to help spinal column and balance. But you're also now affecting the hips from the inside. Do you know the leg when polo it's, or polo cross is going to go out to a bit to turn? It's again just helping those muscles recover just by simply doing some strokes down your horse's stomach. It's going to lift their back and engage with their hips. Especially in polo cross, that hamstring. So before the Sumshi came out in 2011, when I went to the World Cup um, in England, I used tennis balls and and a beamer applicator to work those that big hamstring muscle that runs down and into with all the horses particularly the number three horses and yanni's horse actually just got better and better in the tournament and so she came in as a polo pony not a polo cross pony and she won the best pony there but she responded so well to that massaging of that muscle we did it before and after, and she got better and quicker and quicker out of the line art, you know. So now with the Sumshi, it's even, it's even better. In polo cross, if you can get your horse operating off the hindquarter as much as possible, then your injuries, which are more often than not front leg injuries, you will have less and less of them because the horse will be working off the hindquarter. It probably applies to most equestrian disciplines and dressage and show jumping. Um, they're all operating off the hindquarter and polo cross with the tight turns and the coming out of the line outs. It's all hindquarter work. So if you can keep freeing up that hindquarter and keep the muscles in tip-top shape and uh, you do your proper counter work and everything, then your injuries are, are less and your front limb injuries will be less. Because basically we see more front leg injuries than than back and it's normally because they are compensating for a hindquarter injury or a hindquarter that isn't working properly obviously there are the freak accidents where they may slip and fall and, and break a leg or something but generally tendons and stuff are normally it's a compensation and horses always compensate back to from the back if they need to take the weight off they put it on the front our aim for us is to get the hindquarter working at optimum engaging yeah engaging and working at its optimum because that's where all the power is your big muscle groups everything is off the hindquarter yeah so when your horse is not say taking a lead to the right or to the left that that's that proportion for it to for it to go right for it to canter right it's got to push with its opposite hind leg so it's got to engage and properly that's so a group and in order to do that yet. Yeah. So you're wanting to go right, you're going to push with your left hind leg. To go 
left, you're going to push with your right hind leg. Yeah. So again, it's, and if you find your horse is a little crooked in its head and neck like this, so if it's, let's see, tilting the nose one way, then it's the opposite iliopsoas. And if it tilts the head the other way, it's the opposite to the iliopsoas. Yeah. So again, we want to balance the muscle groups through the different strokes, but we also want to engage, balance our atlas because then um, everything that's happening at the atlas, like we said with the bed, is going to be affecting the pelvis. Most people, they go, my horse is stiff to the left. And then they, they keep working it to the left. But actually, like what Beth just said, if your horse is not going to the left properly, it's generally the right side of the body is, is stiff and tight. Yeah, you have to make sure that, 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 that you're actually working it correctly and fixing correctly because somebody, oh, my horse won't go left and they do 100 circles to the left, but actually it's the right side of the body that's taking a, a bit of strain, you know? So, yeah, it's exactly that. And you have to remember the horses are especially if they're getting a horse off the track there most of the horses are coming from a place where they're always handled on one side they're mm -hmm. always walked on one side they're always turned in the direction of one side they tend to be worked in a, one direction more than the other so that's also something to, to consider of why the horse might be crooked or stiff on the track i know that they on that final stretch they'll switch to the the right lead i believe you start on the left lead is that correct and then, or I if guess it depends which direction right you're going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Counterclockwise, that's how we are in the states. Which which way is the yeah. toilet flushing? Oh, we got to think about this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question. Okay. Damn. No, because Australia goes the other way, right? Yeah, I don't know. I think it just so, goes down here. <laughs> okay. So, so my, my my question is: When they're training, are they training them evenly, or every time they're training, they're doing that one lead most of the way, and then switching to that other lead? I assume they're they're quite balanced, but you must be seeing a lot of bilateral issues and imbalance. So we we try our best here. Again, it's they they try their best and go one way twice a week. They change the direction, but they are raced in the same direction every time. So, like in South Africa, we used to have two right tracks, two tracks going right and one going left. Now we've just got the right. Yeah, it's the same. That's polo cross versus polo, because polo cross you turn left more and polo you turn right more. I, I, I see the injuries here. Sorry, uh, Beth, I'm going to correct you now because <laughs> it's changed a bit. The right-hand turn is very important in polo cross. So in our beginners, they turn okay. left a lot because they try and keep their stick side free. So they're always turning away. But then as you go up the levels, your right turn, if you're right-handed, uh, is probably your most important turn as well on the on the field. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it was pretty much that. The pretty I much old school. Everybody left. used to turn away, so oh, they were yeah. always turning left. Uh, but it's kind of um, involved, and the importance of the right turn is, um, yeah, it's 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 big. Yeah. Um, you don't find them. The little kids they keep moving away because they obviously don't want to get a hit. But yeah. So it goes back to, again, like the horse has got to be, I mean, people listening can't see me, but they've got to be able to have the fluidity through their shoulders in order to go like a cat. And they are bred like, they are bred to be that adaptable. That's the thing. Like, so it is better if you keep your horse out more than stabled and, you know, obviously warm them up. But by their DNA, they are meant to be agile. Yeah. and adapt to footing and be quick they lose that 
without because we don't they don't move around enough that's just the way life is now especially in the racing maybe not so much like you know it, it's better to be able to turn your horses out if you look at the hacklands um, on the hills and roaming and free and probably like beth as well yeah because that's how the body's built to stay moving and then your fascia system and your energy channels they won't get stagnant because they're they're always by moving they're going up and down as they're grazing they're not they're not eating out of a hay net beth mcclarty back to this this uh valuable pull across tip when turning away from your racket all the time trying to avoid wood my move is i typically i'll speed up i'll check and i'll do like a 45 degrees to, to the right because i'm left-handed let that then i'll check let them fly by and then i keep going without turning my horse 360. so what are you teaching those players instead of just always uh, turning away from their racket so different scenarios generally every time you stop and do a full circle you're allowing your opposition to reset themselves as well so that half turn go half check turn go that's all that works well and then um, it comes into the coaching and the stick work. Some people want to go into the box and just do a, a whole circle. But if you do a near side um, and don't take those players on their stick side, um, it's that alone also helps. But it is uh, practice and stick work and schooling of your horse. And yeah, because I think that the minute you start teaching horses are very clever the minute if somebody comes up on your stick side and you're going to do a complete 360 they start doing it before you think about it when they hear another horse approach they're already doing a, a quick turn and going the other way so it's just lots of um playing and coaching and and watching videos and i always say to the kids if you watch the top polo cross the internationals and the world cups you very rarely see them doing lots of turns down the field it's rare um it happens and there is a place for it but it's it's not it's not common um to do all those turns all the time <laughs> not that easy to rob somebody um especially the higher levels you go just teach them how to to avoid that that hit on the on the stick side yeah <laughs> yeah i think she's telling you to go straighter and faster <laughs> yeah a little bit of speed uh will get you out of trouble <laughs> yeah also i've learned some fakes some head fakes some racket fakes they're doing that all the time now these these damn kids making me work harder i do want to just ask on, on a high level about the sum cheese strokes and the, the different levels and all that just walk walk us through that but before that are there any outdated techniques for caring for horses for you know we talk about the blankets and we talk about all these different things are there things that have with new science that you've decided you've determined don't work as well as people thought they worked i think if we if you can focus on like hydration and ventilation with horses then it then 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 you generally on the on the right track um you know sometimes people are cold and they want to over blanket their horses and then when you go and feel they've got like all these layers but the horse is 
perspiring underneath there, sweating hectically. Um, and that is worse for a horse than if they are a little bit on the cold side. So the heavy blanketing that people always used to do, obviously when we start clipping, we kind of take that natural adjustment away, um, you know, away from them. That heavy blanketing and and stuff, they don't they don't um, really need that. And I, I can't think of any method, old method that um I would definitely not used to. They were back in the day. The some of those old horsemen were quite incredible and probably more in tune than um, than most of us are now. The one of the biggest theories, obviously, is to cool the tendons as quickly as possible, and I'm very pro that. Like when you exercise to get those bandages off as fast as possible and cool their legs down quickly because obviously in the faster you take the heat out of the tendons the less chance so at world cups i'm very particular about that we have buckets with ice water and we quickly cool the, their their legs down i don't know if back in the day if they left the bandages on for for ages or for not but all those old methods of cooling tendons the epsom salts the methylated spirits uh, all those things they still work ice and water is just easier um takes less time but um all those stable bandages uh, magnetic bandages all those kind of and some of the very old methods they still work a hundred percent like uh, you know you learn a lot from those those old guys so there was yeah. a thing back in the day where you should not let your horse drink between chuckers we let our horses drink um graham's main little horse the little stock horse rio that he played for years and probably is you know his biggest success story she had to drink between chuckers and she drank quite a lot of water between chuckers and if she wasn't allowed to drink she kind of faded down, you know, she'd get a little bit sluggish and she's not that type of mare at all. We offer horses water between chuckers and they are like people really when it comes to that. If they don't want to drink, they don't drink. But if they need to drink, they will definitely drink. I'm not saying they have to drink a whole bucket of water, not at all, but let them, um, let them drink. And that's probably one of the only things I really have changed in our and are looking after horses at tournaments. Can you tell me specifically what you're using to cool the legs down? I know that they're boots, but there are, there are ones where you shove the ice in them and stuff. Like what, what actual product are you using? Uh, so actually, um, in Jane Marriott, when she stayed here, she telling me when she looked after the polo ponies that they used to just have the ice buckets with the bandages. We use that. It's not to say that that is the only way and the best way. And there are people that use ice boots and put the ice in and... The thing is with the bandaging, you put those bandages in ice water and you make sure they're wet. And then when your horse comes off, you put them on and they warm quickly. So there's somebody there all the time taking off and putting on. So you, because you don't want it to be counterproductive and the heat build up under that bandage. And then the ice boots and that, they just take a little bit more management. They're quick to put on, but you don't always have a um, access to deep freezers and cold places to keep your boots uh, cold and that so it's easy every garage or whatever sells ice and you can buy cooler boxes full of ice and you put your bandages in there and it's it's quick efficient it works well so that's really what we as a family use we use that at home we do have a ice boot if we have a horse with an injury and we can just keep that leg cold but i think beth will vouch for me on this i think it's 20 minutes you shouldn't ask any any leg or injury for more than that so yeah the ice bandages do prevent you from leaving it on for too long yeah i mean just to go back just to support what she was just saying um 
that's what we use here. And the, you know, they have access to everything and anything they want to use. And those horses stand in ice buckets, just buckets full of ice mm. over the knees. Yeah. Um, so then there are some guys who do have the, the ones um, that circulate, but the majority of my yards are in good old fashioned buckets. And, yeah. you know, they've got obviously like some, uh, one of the electrolytes comes in this massive white bucket. And yeah, that's what the horses stand in. Yeah, the, for me, the main thing, uh, you know, for any people listening, hydration is key. Fluid mm -hmm. is key. The body needs fluid. Hydration post-competition, um, again, we do pre-hydration here. You know, probably not needed but at, at the polo cross level, but it is the most important thing in any athlete. Definitely. You know, it's like, I mean, can you imagine trying to take water away from a marathon runner? Mm -mm. It just doesn't make sense. And why Why is a human's body different than a horse? Is a horse ever going to overdrink where they're actually diluting their electrolytes out? Is that ever a concern? Or are you just saying free free water is pretty good most of the time? I think animals generally don't overhydrate. Yeah. I think humans are, are, are silly when it comes to that. You know, they'll <laughs> just keep drinking. But I think animals have that, like innate the kind of thing where they know how much they need to drink obviously some don't drink when they get to that dehydrated thing then you have to take over and put up a drip or or tube them or something but generally if you if they have access to water and they're happy drinking that water you actually don't have to worry too much about them they will they will naturally hydrate i personally haven't experienced an overhydrated horse before um obviously dehydration is another story but um yeah but i know that when the comrades marathon with tim noakes he there one year they actually lost athletes that overhydrated because it gives you the same symptoms as dehydration but i would say that if if you're coming a horse that across a horse that you know is over drinking or it's like you're worried that oh my god this horse is then we have to look at other things kidney yeah. functions etc yeah. you know like if if again what's unbalanced you know did he not have water before or why would he be gorging you know in between chuckers so again it just if if you have a horse that you think is over drinking or constant yeah you have to look at what's the problem what's the issue yeah and i can speak for humans that overindulge bundaberg rum and coke <laughs> Bruce and his peanut butter whiskey that I gave. Is it still there? Yeah. He's probably um, saving it's it. Very. We have been nursing it, but um, it's nearly done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, you'll have to come back for more. Yeah. So I definitely know about humans being different than animals. They're a lot more natural than we are. I just wanted to best shot to sort of talk through just high level, level one of Sumchi and the next le level two and why there are different levels and are you taking it any further with your levels so you start with level one and that's six strokes and that's just really ryan for you to get comfortable with your horse and holding the sumchi six and moving the sumchi six around where i take you with the strokes so level one is an introduction it's to begin the process it's to start enjoying the connection with your horse um get you stroking down the top line get you connected with the pole and get you connected with the hind leg you know on the gaskin and and down the hamstrings and see how your horse is reacting and stroking its intercostals and its ribs and so it's just a an introduction and then if people are ready then yeah then i take them on to level two and there's the videos and there's online instruction 
and there those are more inter intermediate strokes meaning there's crossovers we have to think a little bit more which way we're going in directions and as we talked about earlier they're just design strokes to activate muscle groups to connect with certain points on the meridians to connect with certain nerves that we know are important and so those strokes have been designed to activate the muscle function the overall well-being in the most in the easiest so there's 13 strokes to level um to level two and that routine takes about 45 minutes for you to do but as the horse it's you know gets uh, can probably get quicker like it could probably go down to 30 minutes 15 minutes aside and then level three is when you work with the two sumptuaries so that's the dual sumptuary action and then just it's when the person the user wants to have a little bit more influence through the stroke with more magnetic um, stimulation at one time and it's it's really good for also balancing your own energy of your hands because now you're not holding a leaning on the horse you're using the dual sumshi and working and shifting the energy and so it's a the next step so it's a more advanced level where you'll probably find most people are happy to to stay at level two um i really enjoy working with dual sumshis um and i've started a new thing which you are helping me on with um speaking as I'm working and when people get to level three, they can listen to that and see like why I am using a Sumshi six heart versus a diamond or why I'm in two track versus three track or what I'm feeling in the muscle tone and where I'm trying to get it to. And um, so I think when, you know, people who have more time and want to go a little bit further with it, that's how I can spend time with them in the stable and be somewhere else in the world is so I was trying to do one a week and talk and say okay this is this horse this is what I see this is what I feel and this is what I'm doing to make it better and so that person who's following me now you know go through a treatment a session with me and then I can report back and say ah he just won the race or did you see him quicken or did you see him like not perform well then i'm going to go back and i'm going to check that and then i'll take the you know the podcast back into the stable and you asked at the beginning of the um the conversation today is what do i look for with the horse so when i walk into the stable now i walk in and i say okay this is what i'm seeing and i'm not sure why he's standing like that but let's investigate this and i see that nerve spot there and so it's it's a way of being back in the stable with students and I really, I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's after, <laughs> I have to remember not to like, you know, burp. Or <laughs> <laughs> I put on my Western music and I still have the music playing, but I talk and it's been really interesting. I would like to ask each of you, what are your favorite strokes? Do you have a favorite stroke? I know the whole, whole body matters, but there's gotta be one that you like. It's your go-to probably the db stroke but um because that's you know i'm a iliosoas fanatic i'd say that's probably my but it depends on the horse as well like yeah. when we were doing that horse with jesse the other day and when we did the birdie it was just the best thing i mean it's just it was just fantastic to see this horse react and 
I mean, he's this little Appaloosa pony, you know, and he just, he's like, oh, that feels good. <laughs> yeah. I also um, I agree with Beth on that, but I also like the Infinity Stroke. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. but it is, um, I think with each horse, you pick up on the stroke they love the most, and then that's kind of, it's a bit of a rewarding thing. You're yeah. rewarded, and they're rewarded, and it's a feel-good moment. So it's very much typical. It's very much what Beth said now is that, I do like them all. There isn't one I think, oh, I don't really feel like doing that one. But um, I like them all, but it's also very, it depends how the horse reacts, and that gives you the that next feeling of like, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. That's exciting when they show when, uh, have a reaction. Yeah, Infinity yeah. Loop is across the, the top line, yeah. and it's a really flowing, flowing, and it's funny, I was just talking to Sarah about it yesterday. She goes, well, why do you have it as the most connecting stroke it's degrading the other strokes it's like it's because you're dancing it's like being in the wall yeah <laughs> and when you've got two when, you when, you, when you've got two sumshies it's like even more fun oh sorry you know they wanted right. to know about um hydrate uh horses traveling big distances and obviously we don't travel the distances they do in australia um and obviously people like the grillses and that would probably have the best insights into that but i would think it's pretty similar from when we travel to zim for the zim opens in that we used to tube our horses uh drench them uh before they got on the lorries um and give them um some extra vitamins and then we were just key on hydration and ventilation if the lorries are well ventilated and their horses manage to drink throughout their journey it generally isn't a problem and they're quite resilient and they actually travel very well. The issue comes in when it's not a well-ventilated form of transport and um, they're not getting enough um, fluid. And then if you are on top of it, when you get to the other side, you'll quickly notice that that horse is actually taking a bit of strain and then you can have them drenched or have a drip put up. But generally that's key. Hydration and ventilation and they will manage great distances. Yeah. Yeah, it's the ventilation that gets the travel sickness, yeah. I think, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so then the best way to, you know, is always keep track of your horse's temperature after a long trip as yeah. well. That's right. When you're working with a student and you're doing these virtual trainings, um, how many sessions does it take for them to be comfortable at level one working through with their horse on average? I mean, how many? Two? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're getting, yeah, we're getting organized. The, the better I get at teaching, and so what I've done now is, well, I haven't finished it yet, is I've done a complete voice recording of level one. So when someone buys a Samshi 6, then we encourage them to go and watch the videos. And then they then I have a, a pod, um, little thing of Samshi definitions. So and that's still getting edited <laughs> of all these projects. And then I did the level one. So Jessie Sparks helped me. She suggested this to just do a complete voice recording of level one. So I walk you to your horse and we do just and so you can have it on your phone and in your ears. And I've got the timing down pretty correct. So once you've, people have gone through those steps and we can do then a half an hour Zoom call and then the second lesson it's usually like I just had a great one with Jess. I couldn't believe it. Like it just, she, she's got it. Like she had the right mm. speed, the right rhythm, the right pressure. Um, I was easy. I could flow straight into some 
um, level two strokes and she hadn't seen them yet. Uh, as soon as I was uh, able to say, where's the SI, the tubercox, certain points on the anatomy. So again, there's, I become better at teaching. People are getting it, and so I'm really chuffed. The next level would be virtual reality headsets, where we are you working with a horse <laughs> right there. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. That's probably a year from now. It's not too far away. First, just tell me how, how people can get involved with some G6. And then what to expect from you and Sumchi in this year? What, what are things that you're going to be doing, especially when you're state, stateside? Yeah, it's to be giving clinics. The way that Sumchi is, is now is really connecting, um, getting the videos out there. And then I'm trying to figure out how to, people like send questions to me. And then I say, okay, send me pictures of your horse. And then we figured out how to put the horses in a grid, but we need the grid smaller. So we're working on that. This next year coming would be clinics throughout the states, and then then I, my next place will be uh, obviously uh, touch base in Australia. I'm not sure what's right. happening from now until April 20th. Most likely, I'm coming to the states, and I'm going to get you out your little comfy clothes and put you in the stable. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I'm going to get the Sumshi Six into some tack shops. Um, we've got it down in South Africa where we put the Sumchi Sixes in Allison's salary. And then I'm going to approach some people in New Jersey because some people also still don't like buying online. I'm one of them. So the videos are out. Level two is out. I'm writing a book. I love the online coaching. It's, you know, when you can work through a computer and have a horse put his ear up to the phone and I'll try not to get emotional, but have a phone call back and say the horse went better the next day. Or you're just like, geez, you know, I can sit here and help a horse feel better in Australia. I can sit here and help a horse in Zimbabwe. Then I've done something right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As hard as everything is right now, like when that, and I'm getting teary now, like I was like, yo, you know, it's, it's really lovely when you meet these horses and they hear you and they listen to you and you can teach and share what I've learned through 20 years of work and more. Well, you know, is that I can share that with someone and he can help his own horse. It's the most rewarding thing in the world. It really is. Last question before we leave is uh, what's some good music you're listening to right now? And it doesn't have to be new. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to podcasts now and it's called The Thinking Practitioner <laughs> and then the other music is it's a Tibetan Hangjung Massive that's what I listen to a lot that's quite good those drums you know like those hangjungs. oh yeah yeah that's very cool that is super cool I'm a sucker for classical music I love it so I listen to that a lot when it's just other music uh, Graham's playlist or um, Young Page Pretorius found from Paraguay. I listen to her. So, yeah. <laughs> but I would say I mainly listen to classical music. Yeah. Keep the young, those kids. Yeah, um, they do. Apparently, they did a study on horses' blood pressure with music and they liked country music. Oh, wow. So I don't know if there's a, if there's a bias there. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh. It's pretty well, good. Is, when I work, I work with the country music in my pocket. So it was interesting when I first started to do this recording of Beth Shaw in the Stable, 
having to now now I was speaking instead of just me and the horses with the music and it was really interesting to see how their interaction was like who are you talking to <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I got to hear you sing my music recommendation is Ryan Bingham he's a folk country singer he's amazing Ryan Bingham is oh, awesome so check him out well, that show Yellowstone that's become oh, very popular yes. over here. thank you so much for your time it's great to have you on again this information is so valuable to so many people. It hasn't really been talked about a lot. And so I appreciate what you're doing uh, to help horses. I have the utmost respect for both of you ladies. So thanks a lot for your time. Uh, thank you, Ryan, thank for you. your thank time. Thank you for taking time. Yeah, yeah. We'll all be here together in the States this yes. summer, right? Yeah. yeah. Wink, wink. Yep. Okay. Okay. That's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. Well, have a wonderful uh, evening. Wonderful, yeah. yeah, for both of you. Love to Erica. Thanks I hope she's keeping well. Oh, she is. She's fine. She's got a little cantaloupe down there. <laughs> Everything's Growing. going really well. Oh, good. <laughs> good. All right. All right. Okay. Take it easy. Cheers, Be babe. in touch. Bye, Ryan. Laka. Laka. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you are taking notes. I'm so impressed with the wealth of knowledge from these ladies and very grateful to call them my friends. Cheers to you, Beth and Beth. Not only have you helped so many horses perform well, you've also helped them find so much relief. To get involved with Sumchi today, go to sumchi.com and use promo code CHUCKATALK2022 for 20% off discount to anyone buying the Sumchi 6 after listening to the podcast. This offer is valid until May 31st of this year to anyone around the world enjoying Chuck -a Talk. Here on Chuck -a Talk, we appreciate your feedback. Have you enjoyed the show? Do you have questions or comments? Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For a chance to be featured on the show, leave a voicemail by finding the Send Voicemail sidebar button on PolacrossMadeSimple.com. For more Polo Cross coaching, go to polacrossmadesimple.com. You'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a good one. <laughs>